1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? Everybody and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spataro, and today we are looking at the final entry in the Harry Potter series of books and movies, uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. So anybody listening knows that that means that I have Holly and Dave Weeder on the line. How you doing, guys? It's fantastic. It's not Monday. We've determined that. <laughs> it, is, it is not Monday. I can pretty much guarantee you that. Although people may listen to this on a Monday. Blow your mind right there, right? Yeah, there you go. Time travel. <laughs> so last time out, we talked about part one of this series. And, you know, thinking back to it, it's been two weeks since we recorded it. It's almost in uh, line with when they get presented, the distance between them. And, uh, you know, we talked about the break point, the point where they decided, okay, this is where we're going to split up the two movies. I think we were in pretty much agreement that there was too much content to do this as one movie. Uh, and we questioned, you know, where they broke it and how they broke it and, you know, what you would do to change uh, the, the overall flow of the movies. Now, I don't know if I'm going to get any agreement on this because we, we have made a habit of not really discussing our thoughts beforehand, which I think is a positive. Uh, but rewatching this for the sake of the show, 
I got to tell you, I enjoyed it, I think, more than I, ha than I have any other time that I watched it. I, I felt like it, it was a satisfying conclusion. I felt that the action kind of was consistent throughout. I didn't, I didn't really see any pacing issues. Uh, and one of the big things that just kind of struck me that I hadn't really considered before is in the normal structure of a story like this, as you go along and as you get to that final battle scene, the antagonist seems to increase in power to the point where he seems insurmountable, and then you come up with some way that the hero manages to defeat that antagonist. In this instance, I think Voldemort was presented basically throughout the series as being you know, nearly all-powerful with the exception of the fact that he just could not get Harry. Uh, and I think it was a, an interesting structural choice, and I guess it's in the books, really, not so much in the movies. But as this story goes on, his power level is decreasing and decreasing and decreasing because the Horcruxes are getting destroyed. So Harry is actually getting the upper hand as it's going on to the point where they are on a more even level. But the big difference is now, because of what goes on, he's able to engage Harry in battle, which he had not been before. So I feel like structurally we're seeing something a little bit different than we've seen before, you know, in both the movie and the book. Uh, and, and I found it to be a satisfying end, and I found it to be a surprisingly satisfying end because, again, you know, seeing the antagonist decrease in, you know, ability doesn't seem to be the formula for a winning conclusion. I can see that. I mean, it did take down the horcruxes one by one so it did come down to like a mono a mono fight but i didn't find it as satisfying as i think you did so yeah well i got that impression from the last time we spoke that you were going to have some uh some serious problems with the structure of this movie and with the, the the maybe possibly the pacing of it what was included what wasn't included and i'm kind of anxious to hear your thoughts <laughs> and i don't i don't feel like Voldemort's powers were necessarily decreasing, um, but I, I do definitely feel like Harry, you know, because of the amount of time that had gone on, he had obviously grown up and learned more magic, and so he was more able to deal with and actually compete with Voldemort. And of course, once they get rid of all the Horcruxes, then they're on more even footing. Yeah, but once they get rid of all the Horcruxes, and in particular the Horcrux, spoilers everybody, the Horcrux that is within, <laughs> within Harry... Uh, that Horcrux was actually protecting Harry from Voldemort. Mm -hmm. So, at least in theory, once that Horcrux is gone, Harry just becomes an ordinary wizard and doesn't have any special ability to protect himself. Now, there's all these wizards in the world who don't have the ability to be one-on-one -on -one with Voldemort, and yet ultimately Harry is. And... I'm curious as to how, like, how how you acclimate that, how you can say that's the case. Is it that he's got such a, uh, you know, like a mental block about Harry that he can't do the things that he would do? Is he thrown off by the fact that he's already done the Avadra Kedabra, whatever, <laughs> curse on him, and and you know he's here, he is still alive. Like, you know, is he actually spooked by Harry at this point? Because I think there is maybe an element of that. I would be. He's psyched, I mean, if I were he's psyched himself out that he just cannot beat this kid who, by his own, you know, uh, account, is an ordinary wizard. Now, we think yeah, he's I mean, more it's, than it's a, ordinary, but, you know, that's besides the point. Right. He, I mean, as a baby, Harry defeated him, not doing anything. And then once again, Voldemort tried to kill him and it failed. So, yeah, I would be I would definitely be spooked a little. Why won't you die? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think the performance, it kind of reflects that because he, he seems to become more and more like a petulant child in dealing with his Death Eaters as this is going on. Then when, you know, when he thinks he killed Harry, he's very, you know, smug and full of himself. But, you know, it, 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 it just kind of, you know, I, I think the performance by Ralph Fiennes is actually very good, uh, which yeah. before this movie, I didn't really feel he... It's not that he was bad, but I didn't feel like he had an ability to stretch his role at all. I'll give you that. I mean, the first time you see him is in Goblet of Fire. And, yeah, you get to see it a little bit. But, yeah, he definitely 
gets to really play in this one. He's settled in and he has more, there's more material for him mm-hmm. and different emotions to play other than, hey, I'm Voldemort, I'm the big bad. <laughs> yeah, and, and I've, you know, I've talked I'm about, I'm <laughs> I've talked about uh, mustache twirling villains and subtle villains. Uh, he, he was definitely more in the mu- mustache twirling type because he, he revels in his evil. Uh, on the other hand, while coming into this point, we've seen that mustache twirling aspect of him. In this one, we do see some of the insecurity and some of the anger and what's going on, you know, just to a certain extent inside of him. And I think the movie is well served for showing us that. But I also think... No, I'll give you that. I didn't have a problem with, with his his performance or really Voldemort in this movie. So I'm going to throw it to you, Dave, and I'm going to just sit back quietly and listen for a little while because, again, I want, I'd like to hear what your issues are with the movie and then maybe we could address them a little bit (laughs) my biggest issue the third act becomes a michael bay movie and scenes that i adore in the book specifically neville's comeuppance which in the book had me yelling out loud (laughs) is so stretched out and so decompressed that it loses its potency and that the whole third act just becomes a a a mess (laughs) and and, i mean it, it does kind of get to a point where it's resolved and moving into a back into the normal formation but there was so much that needed to be said about the wand lore and why Voldemort gets defeated that isn't established and i think some of that time could have been devoted to that we were saying that you know this was the whole reason they split it into two movies was because there was so much content and then it was like okay we're just going to blow a bunch of stuff up yeah. at the end <laughs> Yeah, and I guess it doesn't speak well for me that I, I enjoyed them just blowing a lot of stuff up. And I, I hate to think of it as a Michael Bay movie because I am not a particular Michael Bay fan. Uh, but I, th- I think, yeah, the whole thing with the wand, they kind of explain after the fact. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they leave it to you to kind of either have read the book and understand that that's going on or to figure it out on your own because, you know, they do throw you some clues uh, in that regard, but they don't really make it very clear until Harry explains it to you know, to Ron and, and uh, Hermione. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I, you know, I wasn't really bothered by the action at the end because I kind of feel like they earned the right to show us action. I think the one that, that fell most flat as compared to in the book, because in the book it was like a, a, a punt your fist moment, was uh, with Mrs. Weasley and, uh, mm-hmm. and Bellatrix. Like, yeah, because like in the book it came out of nowhere. <laughs> and, and and in the book, it felt very powerful when it happened. Here, it's just kind of like, okay, that happened. Let's move on. Come on. we got more to show you. Also, That's, the that, loss that of moved, Fred that, Yeah, that, <laughs> that guy. Well, all the losses kind of just went really quick. They just said, okay, we're going to show you this one scene with them all laying on the floor and just, you know, take it all in. But uh, I, I think, you know, that particular moment with Mrs. Weasley, I think you needed a moment to breathe right after it to just kind of accept her, her heroism and, and her victory. And just the sheer, yeah, sheer determination that that took. Yeah. Uh, but there's, there's also moments visually, uh, and I think they, they leaned very heavily on visually in the uh, towards the end of the movie. Uh, but I think there's moments that, that you know, kind of carried it a little bit. Uh, in particular, I, you know, I love the, the stone uh, statues protecting the, uh, the hog, you know, protecting Hogwarts. <laughs> I've always wanted to use that spell. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was a real, you know, that was a, a bring your, a bring a smile to your face moment. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of things. The one thing that I think falls a little short for me, and it's in the movie and in the book to some extent, is I don't think they really just, I think they could have just elaborated a little bit more and made it a little bit you know, a little bit, just done a little bit more with it is to show us how heroic Snape was. They show it, but we kind of get through it really fast and you don't get enough to appreciate how much he sacrificed in his life. They don't really show you like when he's aligned with the Death Eaters and what he has to do, you know, and how that worked and how he helped Dumbledore the first time around and things like that. I think, you know, that that stuff could have been brought more to the front because at the end, when all is said and done, you mentally appreciate what Snape did and you understand that he loved Lily and somewhere in his own way he loved Harry and that he sacrificed for them. 
but there's still a part of him that's unlikable where you feel like they didn't totally redeem him. They're just, the, you know, the, his, and, and I, I think, you know, you could have done, done just a little bit more to really redeem him. I will agree with that, except that Alan Rickman's performance sold it for me. That Alan, when he says always, it's a word that you, it's innocuous. And yet Alan Rickman will bring a tear to your eye just by saying one word. Well, there's, he, as an actor, he has the ability to be very, very powerful in his portrayals, just in general. Even, you know, even in Galaxy Quest, he, he brings something <laughs> to brings something to the role that you don't really see. Uh, you know, brings a depth to it that that's really enjoyable. Uh, so I, I, you know, I bow to him as an actor always, and I, I, you know, he was definitely one of these ones that was taken to it, taken from us too soon because I would have loved to have seen what he was going to give us in the future. Uh, yeah, but you know, uh, I just like I said, I think th- I think we could have just seen a little bit more behind the scenes of his machinations and what he did, and and how he truly risked his life on many many occasions where Voldemort you know easily could have just killed him if he if he had found out what he was doing. That's true. I'll give you that. Um, and you're right. They didn't really explain it that much more in the book than they showed in the movie. So I, But I felt like they did a really good job with that part because they were going off of the source material. Like, to me, that matched. But, yeah, I'm with you. I can see just, just a little bit more, like, what we, what he was doing. You know, some of his messages, you know, and, and his spying and trying not to get caught and what happens to me if I die, you know, if I get caught, I'm going to die or worse yeah, and, or worse. <laughs> and, and, and I feel like you almost should have had Dumbledore coming to him and saying something, you know, like Severus, you know, if he catches you doing this, you you know, he's going to kill you. He, not only that, he'll probably torture you and kill you. Uh, and Severus should have you know, said something to the effect. That's, that's a, a risk I'm willing to take because of Lily or whatever. Like just, just throwing something in there like that, I think would have, just made it, you know, made made the narrative more powerful. Like I, like you said, his performance sells it. So you don't really oh, need yeah. to do much with his performance, but I think you need to just give him a little, just give him that moment. And I'm sure he could, I'm sure he could have, you know, acted the heck out of it and not seem heavy-handed <laughs> about it. I don't know. I kind of, I mean, I like the fact that is not a good guy necessarily. I mean, just because he's so brave and heroic and he's doing the right thing doesn't make him likable. No, no. And I agree. And I, I think it would be untrue to kind of make him likable, but maybe just maybe we could have given him a little something motivation wise to show, uh, you know, how he was conflicted. You know, he, like I said, in, in some part of him, he loved Harry because he was Lily's child, but in some part of him, he hated Harry because he was James's child. Like maybe mm-hmm. we could have just yeah. done a little bit more with that. I think we get that. Right, I agree. And they, we get that, but they glossed over that a little bit in, in the movie, for especially sure. Especially in those sequences, <laughs> in the pensive sequences, you don't really see why him and James hated each other so much. Uh, it would, mm-hmm. you know, you, you just, basically you get that Lily fell in love with James, so Snape hated James because Lily fell in love with him. It's like a jealousy thing as opposed to a, no, these two were, you know, oil oil and vinegar to begin with. Or, or is it oil and water? Whatever. Oil and vinegar is just... Oil and water. Oil and water. <laughs> Getting um, hungry just talking. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, think, I think maybe we well, could have done a little something with that too and, and shown the conflict in, inside of him. So, so basically I'm saying we need to show a little bit more of the conflict with him and, and James and show a little bit more of the risks that he was willing to take because he loved Lily so much. And I think then it redeems him more. Yeah, you were talking about the Pensieve and, and, and again, in the in the story, there's so much more back there. You know, how him and Lily were friends. They were actually very close, even though they were still they were both in different houses. You know, they grew up together. She actually didn't like James for a long time um, or serious or you know any of them and and it grew that they loved each other and of course then snape started becoming a death eater and and hanging around with a bad crowd and you know they didn't do any of that and then of course my biggest problem with this whole pensive scene why did they take the time 
to waste time and effort and money on making the stupid pensy float when they could have taken the time and the money and the effort to fix young Lily's eyes. You have your mother's eyes. Hello. That is the whole theme. That's part of the reason why Snape was last lines were, you know, look at me. You have your mother's eyes. And then like three seconds later, they're looking at little tiny Lily pot, you know, Lily Evans eyes and they're brown and they're not even the right. It's like brown's not a bad color. Don't get me wrong, but you don't have your mother's eyes. You need to fix that. <laughs> they didn't stand out as like her her dominant feature, which they needed to. Uh in order for everybody to be so struck by how they're similar. Right. So they I agree did with you such there. a good job with, you know, they actually said the lines and, and that's such a powerful scene when, you know, Snape dies and I still cry over it. And, you know, and then, you know, he casts his doe Patronus and Dumbledore turns around and Lily and always, and I'm like bawling. And then three seconds later, they ruin it by not fixing that one little <laughs> thing. Suddenly the tears stop and you're angry. <laughs> I am. It makes me mad every time I see it. And I have such a problem with that. I mean, we know Daniel Radcliffe has blue eyes. And that's okay because, you know, he couldn't wear the contact, contacts he was allergic to them. Fine. That's not a problem. The color is not a problem. They they need to make sure that the eyes match. That's such a big theme. It's a cornerstone. <laughs> uh, it's yes. motivation. Yeah, that's, they have to look the same. And they should be particularly striking, honestly, because if they're not, you know, if you have if you have dull brown eyes, and again, like you said, no offense to anybody with brown eyes, but if you have dull brown eyes and they're not your dominant feature, then people aren't going to look at you and say, oh, they're the same as your mom's. And they're and they, you know, they focus in on the eyes, too. It's not like they just kind of gloss over it. <laughs> you know, you have your mother's eyes. He's looking right at Harry. They focus in on his eyes and then they like zoom in on little Lily's eyes and it's like. That's not even is that, you know, you couldn't choose an actress that had blue eyes. I mean, <laughs> or a little CGI <laughs> or a little CGI, just yeah. something. I know. I, I know. It seems so that, stupid, but <laughs> it takes I me off every time. Your mother's eyes was the wrong thing to focus on anyway. It should have just you know what? They, sh they shouldn't have said that. People should have just been saying, you remind me so much of your mother. Something like that. I don't, I don't know. It shouldn't have been just the eyes. It should have been everything about him. Right. But it was the problem was everything else had her about him. Spirit. Her spirit, yeah. Well, he, he and they say that you know he has their kind spirit, but he also has his father's mischievous getting into trouble quality, and he looks exactly like James. So that's why I think Dumbledore was like he has her eyes. You know, focus on that. <laughs> Don't look at the rest. It looks like James. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, down to like the one like the cowlick or whatever they the way they describe it in the book that they have yeah. the same the same tuft of hair that won't stay down which you don't really see that in the movie but in the book they describe that at length yeah, so just a, another point well let me before i even go to that uh any any other issues with this that particularly bothered you guys dave no i'm getting out of your way <laughs> she's been waiting for this so my other big issue – okay, so, you know, again, we've talked about they split it into two movies so they can get everything in there. But then they do weird random things like when they finally get to the castle and, you know, he, he – Snape knows. Why in the world would you waste your time with marching down with the rest of Hogwarts students – and pretending to be a student when he should be using that time to go try to find the lost diadem of Ravenclaw. And then it, it just doesn't make any sense. And it really slows down the action to me. You know, there was so much happening. They could have shown him trying to get to Ravenclaw Tower. They should have shown him getting to Ravenclaw Tower and, you know, performing the Cruciatus curse on the Karos <laughs> when mm. they got when one of them spat into McGonagall's face. You know, McGonagall uses or you know cast a patronus spell and it's herself her little cat self and she casts three of them you know anyway <laughs> um just things like that there were there was stuff happening why would have been visually good on a in a movie exactly why did you break it down into the you know the the hogwarts students marching along and you know you have a problem professor and all of a sudden the order comes in and it's like it doesn't make any sense to me and it doesn't flow very well and then, uh, now I love 
Alan Rickman and I love him just chewing the scene with the <laughs> with the <laughs> dialogue. And, you know, any student or teacher is going to be found equally as whatever. You know, <laughs> I love that. But then it looks like McGonagall attacks him, which she does. And then he, you know, you know, rebounds her spell to knock out the Caros. But it's not very obvious what's happening and then he just flies away. And it's just, to me, it's just a waste of time when they could have been doing so much other visually impressive and story-wise impressive stuff. I don't understand that. It's like that. they paused the movie to do the scene. Hmm. Interesting, yeah. It's not, I, I don't disagree with you. It didn't really bother me until now. Uh, <laughs> but that's that's fine. Uh Okay, what are the things that they change from the book that you kind of wish they had not? Well, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the question. Is there <laughs> anything they changed from the book that you wish they hadn't? Is there anything they changed from the book that you're glad that they did? Not that I can think of, no. When they did follow the book, it was spot on. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, the the very first thing they do is break into Gringotts, basically, and... That looks exactly like I imagined it. I thought they did a fantastic job with that scene. I had one issue with that scene. Uh, with the goblets that multiply. Mm-hmm. In the book, they also get blisteringly hot. Yeah. And that presented a double problem for Harry to try and get through to get to the diadem. I, I mean, the, the uh, rather, the the sword. No, not the sword. What were they going for there? Can't remember. Yeah, they were going the for the cup. Was it? Was it the sword? No, they already, cup. they already had oh. the cup. They already had the sword. They were going for the cup. Yeah. Right. But that's you know that that made the scene to me even more difficult. It made the right, challenge not, more difficult for Harry. Not just they were going to get crushed by this mountain of gold, but they were getting burned. <laughs> Yeah, I get exactly. that. I, I understand why they left it out, but I and that wasn't a big deal to me. It was still pretty. But I, I, I yeah, I mean, I can see why they wouldn't want to do that. In in a similar vein, <clears throat> when they uh, when they're going after the diadem in in the room of requirement, I kind of felt like the action in that scene was a little less well directed. Uh, there's so much going on there with the fire and everything that. It's hard to follow. If you didn't read the book, you might get a little lost in the in the in the cuts that they have there. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought that could have been a little bit better done. And I'm trying to yeah. remember in the book, it's Crab and Goyle, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, you know, I know I understand that Crab, uh, Crab actually was very true to his character in the books because he was a bad guy uh, and ended up in jail and all sorts of stuff. So he was not in the final two movies, uh, but, uh, you know, say so had to, to fill his slot. Uh, I think that was unavoidable unless you wanted to recast him. And if you recast him, uh, you know, people can even realize that it's Crab at that point. So it didn't really matter. Right. It was just some random student, you know, Slytherin and and. Goyle. <laughs> yeah. And, but, that, you know, I mean, I, I thought that scene, I thought the scene was good in the movie. I thought the scene was epic in the book. So yeah. I, I just felt they could have been just put together a little bit more cleanly. It was almost like they used a little bit, of, like they wanted some comic relief, like with Ron running off after them. You know, that's my girlfriend. And, and Hermione just standing there smiling like, <laughs> like <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I, I don't remember if they did that in the book. Not that I remember, no. Although I'll be honest, I haven't read this book in a really long time. So I can't really compare it, compare it to the movie so much, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> I just I compare the experience of reading the book to the movie. Yeah, well, in, in this particular scene, that's really what I'm doing. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not telling you a specific thing that was missing or that, you know, whatever. Uh, I'm just remembering how it felt when I read it and how it felt mm-hmm. watching it and how it felt when I read it was much more clear. And it was, you mm-hmm. know, a, a, I had a visual in my mind that made more sense than what I felt watching this. Watching this, I felt that, it, like I said, some of the cuts, some of the uh, angle and uh, close upness 
closeness, whatever you want to say, uh, <laughs> the choices that were made in directing it and editing it, I think could have been just a little cleaner to get across exactly what was going on and, and mm-hmm. to give you the sense of danger. I think the way that he presented it, it gives you a frenetic sense and he's confusing that with danger. I can see that. He's substituting pacing for actual um, stakes. Yeah, and pacing and a lot of CGI fire. A lot of CGI fire. And they didn't explain the fire? No, I guess they I didn't really miss it. They really it, didn't do that but at all. It would have been nice to. Ex- right. It just it was like, okay, it's fire. Why? What's the big deal? You know, douse it with water. Maybe explain that that's a different kind of fire, which is why Goyle couldn't stop the. Or crab, whichever one it was. He yeah. couldn't stop but That the one's spell, Goyle. You know. <laughs> Can't remember which one's which. <laughs> but, uh, I am surprised by the choice in the book and the movie again, uh, but happy with it that even though there seems to be a development of a grudging respect between Harry and Draco, they never become friendly. No. Right. Even when we have the scene at the very, very end, and I want to talk about that a little bit, uh, you know, they just kind of like, there's almost like a little bit of a silent nod to each other, and that's it. And it's it's, it's actually less of a nod and more of almost a sneer. Yeah. Uh, so, so they never become friends, and that's fine. Uh, it's funny, I you know, we had a high school reunion years ago, or actually it was an elementary school reunion, and there was a guy who was, he was kind of a bully, and uh, he was talking to me and my friends, and he came over, and he was like, you know, oh, I miss you guys so much. I always loved hanging out with you. Blah, blah. And we were thinking, you were such a jerk back then. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you know, none of us could really get over it and forgive that. <laughs> but he, uh, yeah, he clearly had no, no understanding as to, uh, you know, the fact that, that he even was a jerk. But whatever. Uh, <laughs> that so was I so kinda... much fun when I used to pants you, remember? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Paul, you love the swirlies. <laughs> <laughs> So that's that, that. I don't know. Maybe that just kind of hit home. But I kind of, I liked the way they showed that. And and you know it goes. There's there's choices that you make, and if you go too far with it, then you start getting to the hey, show me, don't tell me. On the other hand, if you pull back too far, I feel like you know I'd like to see it explored a little bit more. In this instance, I kind of would have liked to have seen just a little bit more exploration of where their relationship stands. You know, basically, they they kind of save each other. You know, Harry uh, Draco could have turned Harry in back at the Draco at the uh, Malfoy Mansion, and mm-hmm. Harry saved Draco from the fire. So there is, you know, there is a grudging respect for each other, but just the same, there's not a friendship. Yeah, it didn't go the way of Flash Thompson and Peter Parker, where they actually did become friends. They just sort of came to. Peter and Draco, or Peter and Draco, Harry and Draco came to an understanding. <laughs> yeah, that's really what it comes to. Your thing, I do mine, let's not cross over, but yeah. And you could almost see where, if, if you would have followed through on the story, how Harry's son and Draco's son would probably be enemies. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> you mean don't, don't make the, uh, the follow-up? The cursed child, the cursed child reference. Oh, you, oh, you know what? I, I never actually read the cursed child, so I don't even know. Is is that mm-hmm. what that's about? You could even, I won't go any further than just to say, is that what the, is that what that's about? Yes. Yeah. Okay. We'll leave it, we'll leave it at that and move <laughs> I, on. I read it. I had started to, I had gotten a hold of it, and I was going to read it, and something distracted me, and I never got around to it. I'm surprised because I enjoyed the book so much. I would have expected that. I'd be enthusiastic to read it, but I kind of feel like the story did kind of close out and I didn't really need any more, uh, which is very against the way I am. Uh, you know, my, my normal thought is if, if I like something and you're going to give me more with those characters in it, more power to you, just keep, keep bringing it on. Uh, but in this mm-hmm. instance, I haven't felt the burning need to read anymore. Anyway, uh, I'll give you that talking it's, about, oh, go ahead. Well, I mean, Oh, no, the, uh, this movie, I mean, I have mixed feelings on it because, like I said, whenever they did follow the story, they actually did a really good job. It was spot on. But then they did those random, like, I guess, I, I don't know what how to describe it, like, 
why would you do it that way? You know, kind of things like at the end when, you know, they're at the Battle of Hogwarts and Voldemort's like attacking Harry with his robes. Like, okay, that was just. Yeah, it was weird. Weird. (laughs) Visually cool looking, but weird. I I guess. And that's to me, that's the the whole reason why they did it was because, oh, this will look cool if we do this. But it, you know, it wasn't really to me. <laughs> I just thought it was odd, and it there was enough took in the source the material story. that would have been visually arresting, right? As well, exactly. So I see what you're saying. Um, again, they get to the the Hogwarts castle, and the whole battle is going on, and it, it, they could have shown Fred's death instead of just showing him dead. I know that sounds awful, but I think it would have had more weight to it. It was a gut punch in the book. I can exactly. Tell you that. Um. Yeah, well, he, he, you know, a character like him who, who's been there basically from the beginning and has, has been a likable character, I think he requires a little bit more of a ceremonious passing than just, oh, yeah, he's gone. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. Which one is it? I don't know. We didn't even say. <laughs> no, they didn't. They didn't say until Neville gave a speech. And then, of course, Neville's speech, you know, I, re- I was a Quidditch widow. I remember Dave <laughs> reading the book. And he was gone for like the whole weekend in in our we used to have like a spare room that was like a separate building, like a guest house, like a guest house. I, and he was gone. But I remember hearing yeah from the guest <laughs> house whenever Neville you know has his big moment and cuts off the head of the snake. I get yeah. why they didn't set the hat on fire. I didn't expect that, but it was just the pacing. You're like he's given this great speech. He's pulled the sword of Gryffindor. Do it now. Do it now. I know. And then. No, we're going to waste time with Harry. Oh, I'm going to fall out of Hagrid's arms and run around. Like, what? You just ruined your whole yeah surprise element here. <laughs> just for a whole other leg of action where we get into that whole robe thing. It was it was weird. The the pacing was off for yeah. me. Um, the, uh, what was it? I, I guess they kind of replaced Neville's big moment with him blowing up the bridge because <laughs> I don't remember that happening. There, they blew it. I think they blew it up. I don't think you heard about it or you saw it. Right. I don't know. And that was cool. You know, Neville running away and it was cool. I mean, you and who are me? You know, <laughs> fine. That's cool. But it just I don't know. The pacing was off. They they should have, you know, why would he pull out the sword? What's he going to do with it? Just stand there? You know, <laughs> Yeah. and then 10 minutes later, that's when he actually does it. Just so Ron and, and Hermione could be in danger again. Again. Yeah. And that's that's all true. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I mean, I, I get I, I, you said, you know, talked about the hat in again in the book. And I know I bring that up again. There was a scene where Voldemort, you know, he, uh, Neville walks out and, and Voldemort and he does his little speech. And Voldemort actually makes the sorting hat fly onto Neville's head and he puts a full body bind curse on him and he sets the hat on fire. I mean, it's it's horrific. Yeah. And that's when he's able to shake it off. And pull out the Gryffindor sword. I guess I understand them not wanting to do that to explain how he shook it off. Yeah. You know, the whole reason why he shook it off is because Harry went and died for everybody in the forest. And so he's protected them with his love. Okay, fine. You don't want to get into that and explain it. That's cool. But I I almost wish we had seen that scene. Because I think, again, visually, that would have made well, more sense. Just from where they were at. Have Nagini attack, slices off the head. Because Voldemort's assuming this guy's not a threat. Right. Mm-hmm. Not realizing that he's the other potential chosen one. <laughs> he should have realized that. Yeah, you would think he would. You think, he, you know, if nothing else, he'd be aware of that fact. Mm-hmm. Um, now, things that, again, that they did great, whenever Harry goes down to the forest and he, he takes the resurrection th- mm. stone and he and his parents appear, that whole scene, again, looks exactly how I was thinking it looked in my head. Uh, I think they skipped... He, Voldemort cursing his body after he killed him because he wanted to make sure he was actually dead. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then they go to King's Cross and that looks exactly Exactly. how I thought it was. I mean, the things that they did were spot on. I think when they, when they, when they they really went for it, they got the right sentiment with, with a lot of the, of things, the things you wanted to take away from the book, but it, it was just, it would sacrifice it from time to time to do something visually cool and exciting and actiony. That's the deal. That's that's the Michael Bayness. Yeah. It's it's just gonna look cool. So let's just do it because it'll look cool. Yeah. And we'll blow stuff up because it'll look cool instead of <laughs> the story. 
But it did look cool. <laughs> it did, yeah. I'm <laughs> it did look cool. Uh, and I uh, I have to say, I remember going to this movie at midnight showing of premiere night and, you know, sitting there in anticipation for hours waiting for the movie to go. And and I enjoyed it. I thoroughly satisfied. 19 years later, they finished it off and all was well. And I was a big old nerd like I am now, <laughs> um, but, you know, and I was very happy. But the more I watch it, I'm like. Why did they do that? <laughs> and I, I wasn't going to see it in the theater because the first the first half wrecked me emotionally. I'm like, I can't watch the bloodbath that, that is to come. I can't do that in a the theater. But you didn't really get to see much of the bloodbath. No, you, you didn't. Just saw I mean, when I saw the movie, that. that's the thing is that, I, that it was muted. What I expected was going to happen emotionally didn't. And did that, that may be a good allegory for the movie. <laughs> well, well, considering the fact that you were concerned about seeing it because of what you were afraid of, what you were going to get emotionally – the fact that you didn't get that, is that a good or a bad thing? Um, It's a mixed bag. Like, I didn't want to – Fred was one of the big ones. Like, I don't want to see that with my own eyes. Um, That was the biggest one. And just, yeah, I wasn't prepared for going down this in a, theater, a theatrical setting. I was fine with crying at home. <laughs> but the first thing I learned my lesson when they flipped the lights on. <laughs> yeah, we, we had learned after they killed off Dobby and we were in the theater and the – Theater people, they flipped on the lights, like, immediately. They didn't raise them slowly no. like they normally do when the credits roll. They flipped them on, and we're all just... <laughs> and the cleaning crew is standing there. I'm like, yeah, I know what they're doing. All the adults are like, we're fine. That's fine. <laughs> That's what he was like. I'm not doing this no. again in the theater. <laughs> that was funny. So, I mean, I guess, yeah, I, I did miss some of the emotions, but it was, for, for a theater going, it, it it didn't have the emotional wreckage, but it didn't have the resonance either. Because a lot of the, I mean, once you get into the the third, the last third of the movie, a lot of that emotion gets set to the side. There are moments, but not as intense as the book. Yeah, definitely moments like Snape's death. Holy crap, that was brutal. Yeah, and I feel like they actually did a better job in in the movie than they did in the book. Yeah, you felt that one. <laughs> I was not prepared. I was very uncomfortable in my chair watching that. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with you, and I definitely I agree with you about the emotion of it, and I definitely agree with Dave about the uncomfortable. You know, as Nagini is striking him, uh, that's a very uncomfortable thing. And then when Harry comes over and, and is like kind of cradling him, uh, it, it, there's a lot of emotions there and a lot of discomfort and just overall a difficult scene to watch. So I think there was some of that element, uh, you know, that, that you were talking about avoiding in some of the other things that you did get in that. Yeah. Uh, I, one of the things I enjoyed, and I think they did it in the book as well as the movie. It's been a while since I read the book also. Uh, but Harry taking on Dumbledore's affect of calling Voldemort Tom. Mm. Mm. I really like that. It's it's you know you know we talked about you know his uh, <clears throat> you know whether whether he could be equal to him in a battle or whatever, but that that's him saying uh, you know I, I I'm not putting you as in any way superior to me. Yeah, it's we're, removing we're, that we're aura equal. that yeah yeah that cult of personality. So and I, they I, did that. But then, it, but then they like did that weird random jumping off the building and flying fighting thing, which again looked cool, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it wasn't really needed. But yeah, yeah, I liked that he, you know, let's finish this together, Tom. Kind, yeah, kind of a and, and, and that, I remember that this being is what a Dumbledore big, used to call you. <laughs> yeah, I remember that being a big moment that they showed in in the commercial when the movie was in the theaters, uh, and I kind of wish they hadn't. Even though I knew where the movie was going to go, I don't like when they show key moments in the commercials. I yeah, agree. It's, yeah. it's fine once I've seen the movie. Before I've seen it, I want to see, even if I know what's coming, I'd like to experience it for the first time on the big screen in front of me. So that, well, that, I don't know if you remember this movie. It was hilarious because it was like they didn't – I mean they advertised it, but they didn't really advertise it like Deathly Hallows Part 2. No, it was just like – it all ends because at that point it was such a phenomenon. All mm -hmm. you needed was a picture and, you know, the date that yeah. it was going to come out and everybody knew. Right. 
yeah, well, that by ubiquitous. That point, yeah. <laughs> by that point, they knew either you're, you're totally up to date on this thing and you're going to see it or you're mm. not. <laughs> it was really that simple. <laughs> I, I don't think I doubt there were very, very many people out there who had not, you know, experienced the prior movies and went to see this in the theater. Right. Now they may this have is not, not one. <laughs> this is not one you go and, hey, what's this little movie about? No, you don't just jump on in here. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure there were a couple of people who got dragged by the significant other or whatever that you know hadn't seen the others, uh, but I, I really doubt there were very many people who were totally unfamiliar with the Harry Potter story and just went said, oh, this this looks interesting. I'm going to go see part two of this. <laughs> It all ends. What what all ends? What's this movie? I think I'll see a random. No, yeah, definitely they were, they were in at yeah. in the story at this point. Now you know, following that battle, they do you know give us an explanation as to what went on and why the 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 wand didn't work and all of that. And then you know Harry makes the choice and he <clears throat> breaks the elder wand in half and throws it away. <sighs> what do you think? Go ahead. I know you want to say it, Holly. That's my one of I have one other issue after that, but that's my other issue. They shouldn't have done that. They should have let him fix his wand and then put the elder one back into Dumbledore's tomb, which for all we know is still defiled and laying open somewhere. You. <laughs> but I don't understand. I mean, I get that he doesn't want to keep the wand anymore. And they and I thought they did a fairly okay job with explaining it like it was never his wand, but he, they should have said Voldemort misunderstood that you have to kill the previous owner when really you just have to defeat them. Mm-hmm. Killing and defeating is not the same thing. But in Voldemort's mind, it is. Which I kind of like that aspect that he didn't even he doesn't even he can't appreciate the distinction. Right. He doesn't even get it. <laughs> you don't get it, Tom. <laughs> yeah, that's what he should have said. <laughs> But then he just breaks it and throws it over, and Ron's like, "Okay, yeah, wait, you could, you could have been I invincible." <laughs> and they walk off to live happily ever after. And then we have a scene which I think was subject of a fair amount of controversy, uh, with the nineteen years late. Nineteen years. Nineteen, 19 years. So Harry at that point would be thirty-six. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, when I first saw it. I thought they did a poor job of of aging them up. And yet when I was watching it this week and I watched it closely, they looked fine. Yeah. Well, they actually did it twice because they had aged them up too much at one point and they they looked all fake. And so this was like the second time that they did it. But yeah, I'm with you. It was like, okay, they aged him up. And I thought they did a good job with that scene. That's not my favorite scene from the book either. So... I, I think a lot of people would, you know, be like, okay, you know, it was there, and it was they there. they did it. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. some actors took to it better than others, but yeah. Well, Daniel and, Radcliffe definitely, I, I could buy him as being thirty-six. I thought he was the only one who really had any acting to speak of to do there. Everybody else was just kind of alone mm-hmm. for the ride and on his coattails. Pretty much. I thought I thought the next biggest acting was was Draco just kind of giving him the sneer. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, everybody else was there, and they, they had parts bigger than Draco's, but I didn't think, they, you know, I didn't think there was much in the way, you know, they, they just carried along their roles the way they were supposed to, uh, and and it just, you know, it, it gives you the the story goes on moment, uh, and again, you know, we'll, we'll just briefly touch on the cursed child to say, uh, knowing that it goes on and having to know what goes on aren't necessarily the same thing. True. So. Maybe that's the reason why I haven't felt compelled to sit down and, and spend the time reading that book, which I'm sitting here and saying I should read it because I'm curious, but, you know, whatever. But uh, I don't want to give anything away. Yeah. <clears throat> but I, I, I kind of like that scene. I, like I said, it, it just, you know, I, I think of like, a, you know, a Star Trek movie where it'll end and they'll say the adventure continues. You know, that's what I felt that scene is saying. You know, life is going on for these people. You may not have the big bad that you had, but they're living, you know, in their world, a normal life now. And that doesn't doesn't mean they won't have any more adventures. They might. 
I'm trying to remember what what does what do they go on to career wise? Because I thought the book spelled that out. Harry had wanted to be an auror as um, it went on, but he never became an auror. Did he be, did did he become a teacher? Or? No, he works at the ministry, but I can't remember yeah. um, the job that he does. Neville made, became the potion, not the potions, the uh, plant herbology herbology yeah. teacher, right? Right, and he doesn't end up with Luna. He ends up with like Hannah Abbott, I think. But I, I actually always wanted them to be together, so, so I adorable. think they did that in the well, they did that in the movie, which I was like, oh, that was a nice little fan service because everybody wants them together. <laughs> well, because they're both a little off, so they're, they're yes. a, a good couple, and they're both likable. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was trying to remember. Didn't Hermione become? No, I'm, I'm not remembering. I thought she was a teacher of some kind. No, no, she's she also works at the ministry, but I can't remember their jobs. And then uh, Ron worked at the ministry for a little while, but then he went and worked started working at Weasley's Wizard Weezes with George, um, which is just sad <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to me. And that's how we close out this series. So. Is it yours? You know where you're at, Holly? Well, I have one more problem with it. <laughs> oh, please, please go. Please, please She's speak. doing the jury stiller. I know, <laughs> I'm so this. sorry. Okay, Columbo. here's my, my last problem, which is, again, one of those, like, very much of a, you know, this will look cool moments is when they killed off Voldemort. Or him basically Body getting Thanos's... To which nobody saw uh, this happen. Right, exactly. Did he just just kind of become a victim of the finger snap? Yep. (laughs) But, A, nobody's there to watch it, so there's no witnesses. So, again, it's Harry's word that I killed Voldemort. Um, There's no body, which is proof. And in the story, there is a body. He's dead, finally dead. Here's proof. This is his body, and they take it and they move it to an antechamber away from everybody else. They don't have to do that, but he, they need to have a body <laughs> to accept that he's gone, especially which they had, had before uh, during Neville's scene, right? Yeah. It just yeah. I don't I, I again they were like this will look so cool, and it did look cool, but it just didn't. To me, that was like, oh, no, is he really, you know, if somebody didn't know the story and hadn't really followed it very well, coming back again? Yeah. Something? Well, it kind of leaves it as a loose end. Find so. a unicorn blood. Yes, thank be, you. Loose end. It, I couldn't think of that. It would race. be better if they had wrapped it up a little more cleanly, I guess. I agree. Uh, <laughs> he did. Okay. He got all deaded up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now I'll say, is it yours? And I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to jump ahead of you. I, I left it open for you guys, but then I'm going to jump ahead of you. I, I put virtually <laughs> every, I put virtually every movie in this series as a varying level of Jaws two, but as a series, it's Jaws. I could sit. To me, it's unreal because we got you know all these movies. But I can sit, I can watch this thing. If I have the time, I can watch it from beginning to end. I can watch every movie multiple, multiple times, and I can enjoy the heck out of it. So the sum of its or the the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Each movie on its own is probably a different level of Jaws two. The series is a Jaws, as far as I'm concerned. Now I'll give it to you guys. I'll agree with that. The overall series. This one I will put as a high Jaws 3. 3? Wow. Yeah. It's my least favorite in the series. Okay, so I don't have to ask you where you rank it now. I have to say, like, like Paul said, the, the series is Jaws. Hmm? And it I guess us, I ended up ranking it by accident, yeah. <laughs> and it gives us a satisfactory ending as far as I'm concerned, as far as just the, you know, letting us know where everything went, feeling that we have closure at the end. But I'm not giving Holly a chance to talk. Oh, that's okay. So you, wow, Jaws three, Dave. Wow, yeah. really? <laughs> a high Jaws three. See, I'm gonna probably surprise you with all the complaints that I have here, but I'm gonna say this is a solid Jaws one. Wow. Hmm. I, I hope I'm not causing problems for your <laughs> marriage right now. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm. What do you mean, Jaws three? 
<laughs> <laughs> How can I live with a guy who rates us um, as a Jaws 3? <laughs> let me rephrase that. I'm going to say a lower Jaws 1, I should say. It's not a, well, I don't think it's a complete movie in its own. You have to have seen the other, at least episode one to, to get into this one. Um, but it's very entertaining to me and, and it keeps my attention the whole time, even though I get mad at it sometimes. Um, and I, I do feel pretty much satisfaction at the end and I'm, I'm okay. Um, so yeah, I'm going to say a, a, a low Jaws one. I'm going to say that instead. Okay, and where do you put it in the overall series? And I can, I can give you, you know, Dave was easy. He says it's the bottom one. You ranked them yeah. <laughs> one, five, three, six, seven, four, two. Where would you put it in there? Me? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, I'm going to – can you say it again? I'm sorry. One, five. I'm sorry, one, five, three, six, seven, four, two. I'm going to put this right at right behind seven. Okay. Or, I'm sorry, right, right ahead of seven. I apologize. All right. You and I are pretty much in agreement. So we both had seven in a slightly different spot because I had a three, five, six, seven – two one four and i'm going to say mm-hmm. to me this is on a par with the first part and strangely enough the first part might actually be a slightly better film mm-hmm. uh but this one was more satisfying i guess because it has the conclusion to it and you know we're wrapping things up so i'm going to put it just just above that one because just because of the satisfaction level for me so okay. the that's Where did you put it? Bottom. It's my yes. least favorite of the series. Even more than Goblet of Fire? I love Goblet of Fire. What? I had Goblet of Fire. <laughs> I felt something with Goblet of Fire. Yeah, Goblet. I, I walked out of this movie numb. <clears throat> it's like, oh, well, that happened. And it grew on me more over time, but the theatrical experience is kind of the key. And it didn't. It didn't feel like a conclusion. Are you dead inside? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> It just I don't know. It just didn't hit the right emotional spots for me, and that threw me. Always, Dave. Now, that was one, but not all of them. All was well. They don't say that in the movie. You're just making stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll do it for the Harry Potter series. And against their better wishes and against their will, I am taking Dave and Holly hostage. <laughs> Going to make them look at the two Fantastic Beasts movies with me to follow up on these. Uh, I think you can probably assume we're not rating them as high as these. But no. wait and see. <laughs> yeah, we'll watch them again. See how yeah. it goes. <laughs> yeah, like how you're a little afraid of that. I am a little afraid of that. <laughs> well, I apologize in, in advance for making you sit through it if you don't enjoy it more this time around. But who knows? Maybe you'll say, this is this time because I, I made you watch it. Top Gun? <laughs> <laughs> is that what this is? <laughs> surely wondering why I have summoned you at this hour. It's come to my attention that earlier this evening Harry Potter was sighted in Hogsmeade. Now, should anyone, student or staff, attempt to aid Mr. Potter, they will be punished in a manner consistent with the severity of their transgression. Furthermore, any person found to have knowledge of these events who fails to come forward will be treated as equally guilty. Now then, Anyone here has any knowledge of Mr. Potter's movements this evening? I invite them to step forward. Now. <laughs> 
It seems, despite your exhaustive defensive strategies, you still have a bit of a security problem, Headmaster. I'm afraid it's quite extensive. How dare you stand where he stood? Tell them how it happened that night. Tell them how you looked him in the eye. A man who trusted you and killed him. Tell them. 